When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 1 of Discourse on Metaphysics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Discourse on Metaphysics by Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. Translated by George Montgomery. Section 1. 1. Concerning the divine perfection and that God does everything in the most desirable way. The conception of God which is the most common and the most full of meaning is expressed well enough in the words, God is an absolutely perfect being. The implications, however, of these words fail to receive sufficient consideration. For instance, there are many different kinds of perfection, all of which God possesses, and each one of them pertains to him in the highest degree. We must also know what perfection is. One thing which can surely be affirmed about it is that those forms or natures which are not susceptible of it to the highest degree, say the nature of numbers or of figures, do not permit of perfection. This is because the number which is the greatest of all, that is, the sum of all the numbers, and likewise the greatest of all figures, imply contradictions. The greatest knowledge, however, and omnipotence contain no impossibility. Consequently, power and knowledge do admit of perfection, and in so far as they pertain to God, they have no limits. Whence it follows that God, who possesses supreme and infinite wisdom, acts in the most perfect manner, not only metaphysically, but also from the moral standpoint. And with respect to ourselves, it can be said that the more we are enlightened and informed in regard to the works of God, the more will we be disposed to find them excellent and conforming entirely to that which we might desire. 2. Against those who hold that there is in the works of God no goodness, or that the principles of goodness and beauty are arbitrary. Therefore I am far removed from the opinion of those who maintain that there are no principles of goodness or perfection in the nature of things, or in the ideas which God has about them, and who say that the works of God are good only through the formal reason that God has made them. If this position were true, God, knowing that he is the author of things, would not have to regard them afterwards and find them good, as the Holy Scripture witnesses. Such anthropological expressions are used only to let us know that excellence is recognized in regarding the works themselves, even if we do not consider their evident dependence on their author. This is confirmed by the fact that it is in reflecting upon the works that we are able to discover the one who wrought. They must therefore bear in themselves his character. I confess that the contrary opinion seems to me extremely dangerous and closely approaches that of recent innovators who hold that the beauty of the universe and the goodness which we attribute to the works of God are chimeras of human beings who think of God in human terms. In saying, therefore, that things are not good according to any standard of goodness, but simply by the will of God, it seems to me that one destroys, without realizing it, all the love of God and all his glory. For why praise him for what he has done, 
if he would be equally praiseworthy in doing the contrary where will be his justice and his wisdom if he has only a certain despotic power if arbitrary will takes the place of reasonableness and if in accord with the definition of tyrants justice consists in that which is pleasing to the most powerful besides it seems that every act of willing supposes some reason for the willing and this reason of course must precede the act this is why accordingly i find so strange those expressions of certain philosophers who say that the eternal truths of metaphysics and geometry and consequently the principles of goodness of justice and of perfection are effects only of the will of god to me it seems that all these follow from his understanding which does not depend upon his will any more than does his essence three against those who think that god might have made things better than he has no more am i able to approve of the opinion of certain modern writers who boldly maintain that that which god has made is not perfect in the highest degree and that he might have done better it seems to me that the consequences of such an opinion are wholly inconsistent with the glory of god uti minus malum habet rationem boni ita minus bonum habet rationem mali i think that one acts imperfectly if he acts with less perfection than he is capable of to show that an architect could have done better is to find fault with his work furthermore this opinion is contrary to the holy scriptures when they assure us of the goodness of god's work for if comparative perfection were sufficient then in whatever way god accomplished his work since there is an infinitude of possible imperfections it would always have been good in comparison with the less perfect but a thing is little praiseworthy when it can be praised only in this way i believe that a great many passages from the divine writings and from the holy fathers will be found favouring my position while hardly any will be found in favour of that of these modern thinkers their opinion is in my judgment unknown to the writers of antiquity and is a deduction based upon the too slight acquaintance which we have with the general harmony of the universe and with the hidden reasons for god's conduct in our ignorance therefore we are tempted to decide audaciously that many things might have been done better these modern thinkers insist upon certain hardly tenable subtleties for they imagine that nothing is so perfect that there might not have been something more perfect this is an error they think indeed that they are thus safeguarding the liberty of god as if it were not the highest liberty to act in perfection according to the sovereign reason for to think that god acts in anything without having any reason for his willing even if we overlook the fact that such action seems impossible is an opinion which conforms little to god's glory for example let us suppose that god chooses between a and b and that he takes a without any reason for preferring it to b i say that this action on the part of god is at least not praiseworthy for all praise ought to be founded upon reason which ex hypothesis is not present here my opinion is that god does nothing for which he does not deserve to be glorified four that love for god demands on our part complete satisfaction with and acquiescence in that which he has done the general knowledge of this great truth that god acts always in the most perfect and most desirable manner possible is in my opinion the basis of the love which we owe to god in all things for he who loves seeks his satisfaction in the felicity or perfection of the object loved and in the perfection of his actions idem vele et idem nole vera amicitia est i believe that it is difficult to love god truly when one having the power to change his disposition is not disposed to wish for that which god desires 
in fact those who are not satisfied with what god does seem to me like dissatisfied subjects whose attitude is not very different from that of rebels i hold therefore that on these principles to act conformably to the love of god it is not sufficient to force oneself to be patient we must be really satisfied with all that comes to us according to his will i mean this acquiescence in regard to the past for as regards the future one should not be a quietist with the arms folded open to ridicule awaiting that which god will do according to the sophism which the ancients called logos aerope the lazy reason it is necessary to act conformably to the presumptive will of god as far as we are able to judge of it trying with all our might to contribute to the general welfare and particularly to the ornamentation and to the perfection of that which touches us or of that which is nigh and so to speak at our hand for if the future shall perhaps show that god has not wished our good intention to have its way it does not follow that he has not wished us to act as we have on the contrary since he is the best of all masters he ever demands only the right intentions and it is for him to know the hour and the proper place to let good designs succeed five in what the principles of the divine perfection consist and that the simplicity of the means counterbalances the richness of the effects it is sufficient therefore to have this confidence in god that he has done everything for the best and that nothing will be able to injure those who love him to know in particular however the reasons which have moved him to choose this order of the universe to permit sin to dispense his salutary grace in a certain manner this passes the capacity of a finite mind above all when such a mind has not come into the joy of the vision of god yet it is possible to make some general remarks touching the course of providence in the government of things one is able to say therefore that he who acts perfectly is like an excellent geometer who knows how to find the best construction for a problem like a good architect who utilizes his location and the funds destined for the building in the most advantageous manner leaving nothing which shocks or which does not display that beauty of which it is capable like a good householder who employs his property in such a way that there shall be nothing uncultivated or sterile like a clever machinist who makes his production in the least difficult way possible and like an intelligent author who encloses the most of reality in the least possible compass of all beings those which are the most perfect and occupy the least possible space that is to say those which interfere with one another the least are the spirits whose perfections are the virtues that is why we may not doubt that the felicity of the spirits is the principal aim of god and that he puts this purpose into execution as far as the general harmony will permit we will recur to this subject again when the simplicity of god's way is spoken of reference is specially made to the means which he employs and on the other hand when the variety richness and abundance are referred to the ends or effects are had in mind thus one ought to be proportioned to the other just as the cost of a building should balance the beauty and grandeur which is expected it is true that nothing costs god anything just as there is no cost for a philosopher who makes hypotheses in constructing his imaginary world because god has only to make decrees in order that a real world come into being but in matters of wisdom the decrees or hypotheses meet the expenditure in proportion as they are more independent of one another the reason wishes to avoid multiplicity in hypotheses or principles very much as the simplest system is preferred in astronomy six that god does nothing which is not orderly and that it is not even possible to conceive of events which are not regular 
the activities or the acts of will of god are commonly divided into ordinary and extraordinary but it is well to bear in mind that god does nothing out of order therefore that which passes for extraordinary is so only with regard to a particular order established among the created things for as regards the universal order everything conforms to it this is so true that not only does nothing occur in this world which is absolutely irregular but it is even impossible to conceive of such an occurrence because let us suppose for example that someone jots down a quantity of points upon a sheet of paper helter-skelter as do those who exercise the ridiculous art of geomancy now i say that it is possible to find a geometrical line whose concept shall be uniform and constant that is in accordance with a certain formula and which line at the same time shall pass through all of those points and in the same order in which the hand jotted them down also if a continuous line be traced which is now straight now circular and now of any other description it is possible to find a mental equivalent a formula or an equation common to all the points of this line by virtue of which formula the changes in the direction of the line must occur there is no instance of a face whose contour does not form part of a geometric line and which cannot be traced entire by a certain mathematical motion but when the formula is very complex that which conforms to it passes for irregular thus we may say that in whatever manner god might have created the world it would always have been regular and in a certain order god however has chosen the most perfect that is to say the one which is at the same time the simplest in hypotheses and the richest in phenomena as might be the case with a geometric line whose construction was easy but whose properties and effects were extremely remarkable and of great significance i use these comparisons to picture a certain imperfect resemblance to the divine wisdom and to point out that which may at least raise our minds to conceive in some sort what cannot otherwise be expressed i do not pretend at all to explain thus the great mystery upon which depends the whole universe seven that miracles conform to the regular order although they go against the subordinate regulations concerning that which god desires or permits and concerning general and particular intentions now since nothing is done which is not orderly we may say that miracles are quite within the order of natural operations we use the term natural of these operations because they conform to certain subordinate regulations which we call the nature of things for it can be said that this nature is only a custom of god's which he can change on the occasion of a stronger reason than that which moved him to use these regulations as regards general and particular intentions according to the way in which we understand the matter it may be said on the one hand that everything is in accordance with his most general intention or that which best conforms to the most perfect order he has chosen on the other hand however it is also possible to say that he has particular intentions which are exceptions to the subordinate regulations above mentioned of god's laws however the most universal that is that which rules the whole course of the universe is without exceptions it is possible to say that god desires everything which is an object of his particular intention when we consider the objects of his general intentions however such as are the modes of activities of created things and especially of the reasoning creatures with whom god wishes to cooperate we must make a distinction for if the action is good in itself we may say that god wishes it and at times commands it even though it does not take place but if it is bad in itself and becomes good only by accident through the course of events and especially after chastisement and satisfaction have corrected its malignity and rewarded the ill with interest in such a way that more perfection results in the whole train of circumstances than would have come if that ill had not occurred 
if all this takes place we must say that god permits the evil and not that he desired it although he has cooperated by means of the laws of nature which he has established he knows how to produce the greatest good from them eight in order to distinguish between the activities of god and the activities of created things we must explain the conception of an individual substance it is quite difficult to distinguish god's actions from those of his creatures some think that god does everything others imagine that he only conserves the force which he has given to created things how far can we say either of these opinions is right in the first place since activity and passivity pertain properly to individual substances actiones sunt suppositorum it will be necessary to explain what such a substance is it is indeed true that when several predicates are attributes of a single subject and this subject is not an attribute of another we speak of it as an individual substance but this is not enough and such an explanation is merely nominal we must therefore inquire what it is to be an attribute in reality of a certain subject now it is evident that every true predication has some basis in the nature of things and even when a proposition is not identical that is when the predicate is not expressly contained in the subject it is still necessary that it be virtually contained in it and this is what the philosophers call inesse saying thereby that the predicate is in the subject thus the content of the subject must always include that of the predicate in such a way that if one understands perfectly the concept of the subject he will know that the predicate appertains to it also this being so we are able to say that this is the nature of an individual substance or of a complete being namely to afford a conception so complete that the concept shall be sufficient for the understanding of it and for the deduction of all the predicates of which the substance is or may become the subject thus the quality of king which belonged to alexander the great an abstraction from the subject is not sufficiently determined to constitute an individual and does not contain the other qualities of the same subject nor everything which the idea of this prince includes god however seeing the individual concept or hexaity of alexander sees there at the same time the basis and the reason of all the predicates which can be truly uttered regarding him for instance that he will conquer darius and porus even to the point of knowing a priori and not by experience whether he died a natural death or by poison facts which we can learn only through history when we carefully consider the connection of things we see also the possibility of saying that there was always in the soul of alexander marks of all that had happened to him and evidences of all that would happen to him and traces even of everything which occurs in the universe although god alone could recognize them all nine that every individual substance expresses the whole universe in its own manner and that in its full concept is included all its experiences together with all the attendant circumstances and the whole sequence of exterior events there follow from these considerations several noticeable paradoxes among others that it is not true that two substances may be exactly alike and differ only numerically solo numero and that what st thomas says on this point regarding angels and intelligences quod ibi omne individuum sit species infima is true of all substances provided that the specific difference is understood as geometers understand it in the case of figures again that a substance will be able to commence only through creation and perish only through annihilation that a substance cannot be divided into two nor can one be made out of two and that thus the number of substances neither augments nor diminishes through natural means although they are frequently transformed 
furthermore every substance is like an entire world and like a mirror of god or indeed of the whole world which it portrays each one in its own fashion almost as the same city is variously represented according to the various situations of him who is regarding it thus the universe is multiplied in some sort as many times as there are substances and the glory of god is multiplied in the same way by as many wholly different representations of his works it can indeed be said that every substance bears in some sort the character of god's infinite wisdom and omnipotence and imitates him as much as it is able to for it expresses although confusedly all that happens in the universe past present and future deriving thus a certain resemblance to an infinite perception or power of knowledge and since all other substances express this particular substance and accommodate themselves to it we can say that it exerts its power upon all the others in imitation of the omnipotence of the creator ten that the belief in substantial forms has a certain basis in fact but that these forms effect no changes in the phenomena and must not be employed for the explanation of particular events it seems that the ancients able men who were accustomed to profound meditations and taught theology and philosophy for several centuries and some of whom recommend themselves to us on account of their piety had some knowledge of that which we have just said and this is why they introduced and maintained the substantial forms so much decried today but they were not so far from the truth nor so open to ridicule as the common run of our new philosophers imagine i grant that the consideration of these forms is of no service in the details of physics and ought not to be employed in the explanation of particular phenomena in regard to this last point the schoolmen were at fault as were also the physicians of times past who followed their example thinking they had given the reason for the properties of a body in mentioning the forms and qualities without going to the trouble of examining the manner of operation as if one should be content to say that a clock had a certain amount of clockness derived from its form and should not inquire in what that clockness consisted this is indeed enough for the man who buys it provided he surrenders the care of it to someone else the fact however that there was this misunderstanding and misuse of the substantial forms should not bring us to throw away something whose recognition is so necessary in metaphysics since without these we will not be able i hold to know the ultimate principles nor to lift our minds to the knowledge of the incorporeal natures and of the marvels of god yet as the geometer does not need to encumber his mind with the famous puzzle of the composition of the continuum and as no moralist and still less a jurist or a statesman has need to trouble himself with the great difficulties which arise in conciliating free will with the providential activity of god since the geometer is able to make all his demonstrations and the statesman can complete all his deliberations without entering into these discussions which are so necessary and important in philosophy and theology so in the same way the physicist can explain his experiments now using simpler experiments already made now employing geometrical and mechanical demonstrations without any need of the general considerations which belong to another sphere and if he employs the cooperation of god or perhaps of some soul or animating force or something else of a similar nature he goes out of his path quite as much as that man who when facing an important practical question would wish to enter into profound argumentations regarding the nature of destiny and of our liberty a fault which men quite frequently commit without realizing it when they cumber their minds with considerations regarding fate and thus they are even sometimes turned from a good resolution or from some necessary provision eleven that the opinions of the theologians and of the so-called scholastic philosophers are not to be wholly despised 
i know that i am advancing a great paradox in pretending to resuscitate in some sort the ancient philosophy and to recall post liminio the substantial forms almost banished from our modern thought but perhaps i will not be condemned lightly when it is known that i have long meditated over the modern philosophy and that i have devoted much time to experiments in physics and to the demonstrations of geometry and that i too for a long time was persuaded of the baselessness of those beings which however i was finally obliged to take up again in spite of myself and as though by force the many investigations which i carried on compelled me to recognize that our moderns do not do sufficient justice to st thomas and to the other great men of that period and that there is in the theories of the scholastic philosophers and theologians far more solidity than is imagined provided that these theories are employed a propos and in their place i am persuaded that if some careful and meditative mind were to take the trouble to clarify and direct their thoughts in the manner of analytic geometers he would find a great treasure of very important truths wholly demonstrable twelve that the conception of the extension of a body is in a way imaginary and does not constitute the substance of the body but to resume the thread of our discussion i believe that he who will meditate upon the nature of substance as i have explained it above will find that the whole nature of bodies is not exhausted in their extension that is to say in their size figure and motion but that we must recognize something which corresponds to soul something which is commonly called substantial form although these forms effect no change in the phenomena any more than do the souls of beasts that is if they have souls it is even possible to demonstrate that the ideas of size figure and motion are not so distinctive as is imagined and that they stand for something imaginary relative to our perceptions as do although to a greater extent the ideas of colour heat and the other similar qualities in regard to which we may doubt whether they are actually to be found in the nature of things outside us this is why these latter qualities are unable to constitute substance and if there is no other principle of identity in bodies than that which has just been referred to a body would not subsist more than for a moment the souls and the substance forms of other bodies are entirely different from intelligent souls which alone know their actions and not only do not perish through natural means but indeed always retain the knowledge of what they are a fact which makes them alone open to chastisement or recompense and makes them citizens of the republic of the universe whose monarch is god hence it follows that all the other creatures should serve them a point which we shall discuss more amply later thirteen as the individual concept of each person includes once for all everything which can ever happen to him in it can be seen a priori the evidences or the reasons for the reality of each event and why one happened sooner than the other but these events however certain are nevertheless contingent being based on the free choice of god and of his creatures it is true that their choices always have their reasons but they incline to the choices under no compulsion of necessity but before going further it is necessary to meet a difficulty which may arise regarding the principles which we have set forth in the preceding we have said that the concept of an individual substance includes once for all everything which can ever happen to it and that in considering this concept one will be able to see everything which can truly be said concerning the individual just as we are able to see in the nature of a circle all the properties which can be derived from it but does it not seem that in this way the difference between contingent and necessary truths will be destroyed 
that there will be no place for human liberty and that an absolute fatality will rule as well over all our actions as over all the rest of the events of the world to this i reply that a distinction must be made between that which is certain and that which is necessary everyone grants that future contingencies are assured since god foresees them but we do not say just because of that that they are necessary but it will be objected that if any conclusion can be deduced infallibly from some definition or concept it is necessary and now since we have maintained that everything which is to happen to anyone is already virtually included in his nature or concept as all the properties are contained in the definition of a circle therefore the difficulty still remains in order to meet the objection completely i say that the connection or sequences of two kinds the one absolutely necessary whose contrary implies contradiction occurs in the eternal verities like the truths of geometry the other is necessary only ex hypothesis and so to speak by accident and in itself it is contingent since the contrary is not implied this latter sequence is not founded upon ideas wholly pure and upon the pure understanding of god but upon his free decrees and upon the processes of the universe let us give an example since julius caesar will become perpetual dictator and master of the republic and will overthrow the liberty of rome this action is contained in his concept for we have supposed that it is in the nature of such a perfect concept of a subject to involve everything in fact so that the predicate may be included in the subject ut posit in esse subjecto we may say that it is not in virtue of this concept or idea that he is obliged to perform this action since it pertains to him only because god knows everything but it will be insisted in reply that his nature or form responds to this concept and since god imposes upon him this personality he is compelled henceforth to live up to it i could reply by instancing the similar case of the future contingencies which as yet have no reality save in the understanding and will of god and which because god has given them in advance this form must needs correspond to it but i prefer to overcome a difficulty rather than to excuse it by instancing other difficulties and what i am about to say will serve to clear up the one as well as the other it is here that must be applied the distinction in the kind of relation and i say that that which happens conformably to these decrees is assured but that it is not therefore necessary and if any one did the contrary he would do nothing impossible in itself although it is impossible ex hypothesis that that other happen for if any one were capable of carrying out a complete demonstration by virtue of which he could prove this connection of the subject which is caesar with the predicate which is his successful enterprise he would bring us to see in fact that the future dictatorship of caesar had its basis in his concept or nature so that one would see there a reason why he resolved to cross the rubicon rather than to stop and why he gained instead of losing the day at pharsalus and that it was reasonable and by consequence assured that this would occur but one would not prove that it was necessary in itself nor that the contrary implied a contradiction almost in the same way in which it is reasonable and assured that god will always do what is best although that which is less perfect is not thereby implied for it would be found that this demonstration of this predicate as belonging to caesar is not as absolute as are those of numbers or of geometry but that this predicate supposes a sequence of things which god has shown by his free will this sequence is based on the first free decree of god which was to do always that which is the most perfect and upon the decree which god made following the first one regarding human nature which is that men should always do although freely that which appears to be the best 
now every truth which is founded upon this kind of decree is contingent although certain for the decrees of god do not change the possibilities of things and as i have already said although god assuredly chooses the best this does not prevent that which is less perfect from being possible in itself although it will never happen it is not its impossibility but its imperfection which causes him to reject it now nothing is necessitated whose opposite is possible one will then be in a position to satisfy these kinds of difficulties however great they may appear and in fact they have not been less vexing to all other thinkers who have ever treated this matter provided that he considers well that all contingent propositions have reasons why they are thus rather than otherwise or indeed what is the same thing that they have proof a priori of their truth which render them certain and show that the connection of the subject and predicate in these propositions has its basis in the nature of the one and of the other but he must further remember that such contingent propositions have not the demonstrations of necessity since their reasons are founded only on the principle of contingency or of the existence of things that is to say upon that which is or which appears to be the best among several things equally possible necessary truths on the other hand are founded upon the principle of contradiction and upon the possibility or impossibility of the essences themselves without regard here to the free will of god or of creatures fourteen god produces different substances according to the different views which he has of the world and by the intervention of god the appropriate nature of each substance brings it about that what happens to one corresponds to what happens to all the others without however their acting upon one another directly after having seen to a certain extent in what the nature of substances consists we must try to explain the dependence they have upon one another and their actions and passions now it is first of all very evident that created substances depend upon god who preserves them and can produce them continually by a kind of emanation just as we produce our thoughts for when god turns so to say on all sides and in all fashions the general system of phenomena which he finds it good to produce for the sake of manifesting his glory and when he regards all the aspects of the world in all possible manners since there is no relation which escapes his omniscience the result of each view of the universe as seen from a different position is a substance which expresses the universe conformably to this view provided god sees fit to render his thought effective and to produce the substance and since god's vision is always true our perceptions are always true and that which deceives us are our judgments which are of us now we have said before and it follows from what we have just said that each substance is a world by itself independent of everything else excepting god therefore all our phenomena that is all things which are ever able to happen to us are only consequences of our being now as the phenomena maintain a certain order conformably to our nature or so to speak to the world which is in us from whence it follows that we can for the regulation of our conduct make useful observations which are justified by the outcome of the future phenomena and as we are thus able often to judge the future by the past without deceiving ourselves we have sufficient grounds for saying that these phenomena are true and we will not be put to the task of inquiring whether they are outside of us and whether others perceive them also nevertheless it is most true that the perceptions and expressions of all substances intercorrespond so that each one following independently certain reasons or laws which he has noticed meets others which are doing the same as when several have agreed to meet together in a certain place on a set day they are able to carry out the plan if they wish now although all express the same phenomena this does not bring it about that their expressions are exactly alike 
it is sufficient if they are proportional as when several spectators think they see the same thing and are agreed about it although each one sees or speaks according to the measure of his vision it is god alone from whom all individuals emanate continually and who sees the universe not only as they see it but besides in a very different way from them who is the cause of this correspondence in their phenomena and who brings it about that that which is particular to one is also common to all otherwise there would be no relation in a way then we might properly say although it seems strange that a particular substance never acts upon another particular substance nor is it acted upon by it that which happens to each one is only the consequence of its complete idea or concept since this idea already includes all the predicates and expresses the whole universe in fact nothing can happen to us except thoughts and perceptions and all our thoughts and perceptions are but the consequence contingent it is true of our precedent thoughts and perceptions in such a way that were i able to consider directly all that happens or appears to me at the present time i should be able to see all that will happen to me or that will ever appear to me this future will not fail me and will surely appear to me even if all that which is outside of me were destroyed save only that god and myself were left since however we ordinarily attribute to other things an action upon us which brings us to perceive things in a certain manner it is necessary to consider the basis of this judgment and to inquire what there is of truth in it fifteen the action of one finite substance upon another consists only in the increase in the degrees of the expression of the first combined with a decrease in that of the second in so far as god has in advance fashioned them so that they will act in accord without entering into a long discussion it is sufficient for reconciling the language of metaphysics with that of practical life to remark that we preferably attribute to ourselves and with reason the phenomena which we express the most perfectly and that we attribute to other substances those phenomena which each one expresses the best thus a substance which is of an infinite extension in so far as it expresses all becomes limited in proportion to its more or less perfect manner of expression it is thus then that we may conceive of substances as interfering with and limiting one another and hence we are able to say that in this sense they act upon one another and that they so to speak accommodate themselves to one another for it can happen that a single change which augments the expression of the one may diminish that of the other now the virtue of a particular substance is to express well the glory of god and the better it expresses it the less is it limited everything when it expresses its virtue or power that is to say when it acts changes to better and expands just in so far as it acts when therefore a change occurs by which several substances are affected in fact every change affects them all i think we may say that those substances which by this change pass immediately to a greater degree of perfection or to a more perfect expression exert power and act while those which pass to a lesser degree disclose their weakness and suffer i also hold that every activity of a substance which has perception implies some pleasure and every passion some pain except that it may very well happen that a present advantage will be eventually destroyed by a greater evil whence it comes that one may sin in acting or exerting his power and in finding pleasure sixteen the extraordinary intervention of god is not excluded in that which our particular essences express because their expression includes everything such intervention however goes beyond the power of our natural being or of our distinct expression because these are finite and follow certain subordinate regulations there remains for us at present only to explain how it is possible that god has influence at times upon men or upon other substances 
by an extraordinary or miraculous intervention since it seems that nothing is able to happen which is extraordinary or supernatural inasmuch as all the events which occur to the other substances are only the consequences of their natures we must recall what was said above in regard to the miracles in the universe these always conform to the universal law of the general order although they may contravene the subordinate regulations and since every person or substance is like a little world which expresses the great world we can say that this extraordinary action of god upon this substance is nevertheless miraculous although it is comprised in the general order of the universe in so far as it is expressed by the individual essence or concept of this substance this is why if we understand in our natures all that they express nothing is supernatural in them because they reach out to everything an effect always expressing its cause and god being the veritable cause of the substances but as that which our natures express the most perfectly pertains to them in a particular manner that being their special power and since they are limited as i have just explained many things there are which surpass the powers of our natures and even of all limited natures as a consequence to speak more clearly i say that the miracles and the extraordinary interventions of god have this peculiarity that they cannot be foreseen by any created mind however enlightened this is because the distinct comprehension of the fundamental order surpasses them all while on the other hand that which is called natural depends upon less fundamental regulations which the creatures are able to understand in order then that my words may be as irreprehensible as the meaning i am trying to convey it will be well to associate certain words with certain significations we may call that which includes everything that we express and which expresses our union with god himself nothing going beyond it our essence but that which is limited in us may be designated as our nature or our power and in accordance with this terminology that which goes beyond the natures of all created substances is supernatural seventeen an example of a subordinate regulation in the law of nature which demonstrates that god always preserves the same amount of force but not the same quantity of motion against the cartesians and many others i have frequently spoken of subordinate regulations or of the laws of nature and it seems that it will be well to give an example our new philosophers are unanimous in employing that famous law that god always preserves the same amount of motion in the universe in fact it is a very plausible law and in times past i held it for indubitable but since then i have learned in what its fault consists Monsieur descartes and many other clever mathematicians have thought that the quantity of motion that is to say the velocity multiplied by the mass of the moving body is exactly equivalent to the moving force or to speak in mathematical terms that the force varies as the velocity multiplied by the mass footnote on mass this term is employed here for the sake of clearness leibniz did not possess the concept mass which was enunciated by newton in the same year in which the present treatise was written 1686 leibniz uses the terms body magnitude of body etc the technical expression mass occurs once only in the writings of leibniz in a treatise published in 1695 and was there doubtless borrowed from newton for the history of the controversy concerning the cartesian and leibnizian measure of force see marx's science of mechanics chicago 1893 pages 272 at sec translator now it is reasonable that the same force is always preserved in the universe so also looking to phenomena it will be readily seen that a mechanical perpetual motion is impossible because the force in such a machine being always diminished a little by friction and so ultimately destined to be entirely spent would necessarily have to recoup its losses 
and consequently would keep on increasing of itself without any new impulsion from without and we see furthermore that the force of a body is diminished only in the proportion as it gives up force either to a contiguous body or to its own parts in so far as they have a separate movement the mathematicians to whom i have referred think that what can be said of force can be said of the quantity of motion in order however to show the difference i make two suppositions in the first place that a body falling from a certain height acquires a force enabling it to remount to the same height provided that its direction is turned that way or provided that there are no hindrances for instance a pendulum will rise exactly to the height from which it has fallen provided the resistance of the air and of certain other small particles do not diminish a little its acquired force i suppose in the second place that it will take as much force to lift a body a weighing one pound to the height cd four feet as to raise a body b weighing four pounds to the height ef one foot these two suppositions are granted by our new philosophers it is therefore manifest that the body a falling from the height cd acquires exactly as much force as the body b falling from the height ef for the body b at f having by the first supposition sufficient force to return to e has therefore the force to carry a body of four pounds to the distance of one foot ef and likewise the body a at d having the force to return to c has also the force required to carry a body weighing one pound its own weight back to c a distance of four feet now by the second supposition the force of these two bodies is equal let us now see if the quantity of motion is the same in each case it is here that we will be surprised to find a very great difference for it has been proved by galileo that the velocity acquired by the fall cd is double the velocity acquired by the fall ef although the height is four times as great multiplying therefore the body a whose mass is one by its velocity which is two the product or the quantity of movement will be two and on the other hand if we multiply the body b whose mass is four by its velocity which is one the product or quantity of motion will be four hence the quantity of the motion of the body a at the point d is half the quantity of the motion of the body b at the point f yet their forces are equal and there is therefore a great difference between the quantity of motion and the force this is what we set out to show we can see therefore how the force ought to be estimated by the quantity of the effect which it is able to produce for example by the height to which a body of certain weight can be raised this is a very different thing from the velocity which can be imparted to it and in order to impart to it double the velocity we must have double the force nothing is simpler than this proof and m descartes has fallen into error here only because he trusted too much to his thoughts even when they had not been ripened by reflection but it astonishes me that his disciples have not noticed this error and i am afraid that they are beginning to imitate little by little certain peripatetics whom they ridicule and that they are accustoming themselves to consult rather the books of their master than reason or nature eighteen the distinction between force and the quantity of motion is among other reasons important as showing that we must have recourse to metaphysical considerations in addition to discussions of extension if we wish to explain the phenomena of matter this consideration of the force distinguished from the quantity of motion is of importance not only in physics and mechanics for finding the real laws of nature and the principles of motion and even for correcting many practical errors which have crept into the writings of certain able mathematicians but also in metaphysics it is of importance for the better understanding of principles because motion if we regard only its exact and formal meaning that is change of place is not something entirely real and when several bodies change their places reciprocally it is not possible to determine by considering the bodies alone to which among them movement or repose is to be attributed 
as I could demonstrate geometrically if I wished to stop for it now. But the force or the proximate cause of these changes is something more real, and there are sufficient grounds for attributing it to one body rather than to another, and it is only through this latter investigation that we can determine to which one the movement must appertain. Now this force is something different from size, from form or from motion, and it can be seen from this consideration that the whole meaning of a body is not exhausted in its extension together with its modifications as our moderns persuade themselves. We are therefore obliged to restore certain beings or forms which they have banished. It appears more and more clear that although all the particular phenomena of nature can be explained mathematically or mechanically by those who understand them, yet nevertheless the general principles of corporeal nature and even of mechanics are metaphysical rather than geometric and belong rather to certain indivisible forms or natures as the causes of the appearances than to the corporeal mass or to extension this reflection is able to reconcile the mechanical philosophy of the moderns with the circumspection of those intelligent and well-meaning persons who with a certain justice fear that we are becoming too far removed from immaterial beings and that we are thus prejudicing piety End of section one. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.